Office Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Flooding the tunnels. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Kashenka on this Tuesday, December 5th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. A new report says Israel is considering pumping ocean water into the Hamas tunnel network to help root out terrorists. The United Nations is accused of ignoring the rape and sexual mutilation of Israeli women during the Hamas terror attacks. The White House ramping up pressure on Congress to provide more funding for Ukraine, but some lawmakers want to negotiate. And how Americans respond when asked for donations in the checkout line. You're in the middle of a transaction, you're handing over your credit card perhaps, or tapping it on the, the, the device, and all of a sudden something pops up, or the cashier might ask you, would you like to donate to this cause today? And it's very quick. Sarah Rathner at NerdWallet on how we react when asked to donate on the spot, while say at the supermarket or big box store. The United States says it's too soon to say whether Israel is doing enough to protect civilians as Israeli forces continue with their air and ground bombardment of the southern Gaza Strip. The mounting death toll led the Biden administration to reiterate that it expects Israel not to strike zones it has identified as safe. Residents and journalists on the ground said the Israeli airstrikes in the south of Gaza included areas where Israel had told people to seek shelter. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Right now, Hamas is refusing to release civilian women who should have been part of the agreement. And it is that refusal by Hamas that has caused uh, the end of the hostage agreement and therefore the end of the pause in hostilities. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal says Israel has assembled a system of large pumps it could use to flood Hamas's vast network of tunnels under the Gaza Strip with seawater a tactic that could destroy the tunnels and drive the fighters from their underground refuge. There's renewed pressure from the Biden administration on lawmakers to provide funding for Ukraine. The White House now says the U.S. will be unable to continue providing weaponry to Ukraine if Congress doesn't provide additional funding by the end of the year. Meanwhile, the Senate is scheduled to vote tomorrow on a procedural measure for a $106 billion emergency foreign aid package that includes more than $61 billion for Ukraine. The final details of the package are still being worked out. There's disagreement about adding immigration and asylum policy reforms to address the southern border. Connecticut Democrat Chris Murphy. Republicans need to decide that they're actually interested in negotiation instead of drawing lines in the sand, that they know that they know that Democrats uh, can't cross. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. Republicans know that national security begins with border security. Meanwhile, Ukraine's president will address senators by video today. Just as Congress prepares for a battle to avoid a government shutdown and approve crucial legislation such as an annual defense policy bill, some of the most conservative House lawmakers are warning that newly elected Speaker Mike Johnson's grace period is over. Here's Ken Tran, Congress reporter at USA Today. Ken, what are you hearing? So when Mike Johnson first got elected as Speaker, there was an acknowledgement across the House Republican Conference that, you know, he's been in Congress since only 2017. He's a relatively junior member of Congress, and he's also put into the speakership during the middle of the 118th Congress, which is historical. You know, no one's ever actually come in during the middle of a term. So there was an acknowledgement that, you know, hey, we should give the new speaker some time to adjust the job and really, you know, get the feet wet, get new staff and learn how to lead. Except, you know, now that we've been past that or 
a few weeks has passed, members are saying, or the more conservative members are saying, you know, that honeymoon period is over. It's time to build some trust and see if he can actually put out the wins that we want to see from him. Yeah. Okay. So building trust here in this case would entitle what, maybe according to some of the more conservative members of the House? Sure. So right now, for example, a lot of the debate happening in Congress is over uh, President Joe Biden's foreign aid request. Uh, that is aid to Israel, aid to Ukraine. Uh, but noticeably, one thing that conservatives want is the House Republican version of a border security bill uh, called H.R. 2. Uh, they want either as much of it or some want all of it in in any package for Ukraine aid to tie those two together, or else they won't support anything like that without that really strong and strict uh, new border policy bill. Just Monday morning, it was reported that Johnson does want all of HR2 in a, any package with Ukraine aid. So that is one way he is he could be building trust and more appealing to those conservative members. Got it. Um, what does that do for, I guess, uh, more moderate members of Congress then when they see something like this connected? Sure. So for those moderate members, some of those moderate members are in districts that President Joe Biden won in the 2020 election. So they are particularly vulnerable members heading into the 2024 elections. They risk losing their seat. And given Republicans' very narrow majority in the House, that means the Republicans risk losing control of the lower chamber in the first place. So it's a really delicate balancing act that Speaker Johnson has to traverse. And it's whether or not he has to appeal to those conservatives who have threatened McCarthy's speakership and ultimately ousted him or try to protect that majority while also, you know, avoiding having to force those vulnerable moderate Republicans to take those votes. Yeah. We're speaking with Ken Tran, Congress reporter at USA Today. His piece is called House Speaker Mike Johnson's Honeymoon Period is Over. Um, what about his relationship with the Freedom Caucus at this point? So his free relationship with the Freedom Caucus is a little mixed. Something important to know with the Freedom Caucus is that while it is a group of the House's most conservative lawmakers, um, a lot of those members have their own personalities and identity, and they don't really have a unified vision most of the time. Uh, they all act on their own. So some Freedom Caucus members say, you know, honeymoon period is over. We're done. We're going to keep playing hardball like we have for the past year or so since we took control of Congress. You know, members like Chip Roy, for example, has been getting um, has been getting more upset with Johnson or frustrated because he's been negotiating more with the other party leaders in the Senate and House rather than his own conference. Other members say, yeah, sure, the honeymoon period is over, but, you know, we're going to take it day by day see how he performs and have talks with them. And at this point, with an eye on mid-January for a potential government shutdown, what has to happen? That's what we're all wondering or in looking into heading into January. So Johnson has to appeal to these conservatives and put in whatever deep spending cuts they might want or risk have seeing a partial government shutdown because ultimately any deal is going to need Democratic support because Democrats control the Senate and President Joe Biden is in the White House. Uh, the good news for averting government shutdown or the news for maybe more moderate Republicans and Democrats is that Freedom Caucus members actually suggested that they are more open to a higher top line number for the appropriation bills. Previously, they were saying top line most we can spend is one point four seven trillion dollars for the next fiscal year. But last week at a press conference, they said they're willing to go with the one point five nine trillion dollar top line that was originally agreed to between former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden and their deal to avert the debt limit crisis. So that is a sign that those Freedom Caucus members are starting to come back and maybe relent a little bit to averting a shutdown. Thanks, Ken. Ken Tran, Congress reporter at USA Today. Dell's Cyber Monday event is their biggest sale of the year. 
Shop limited-time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Thanks for spending time with us. A home exploded as police in Arlington, Virginia, tried to conduct a search warrant on a man who had reportedly fired a flare gun dozens of times from inside. Arlington County Police spokesperson Ashley Savage says his officers were trying to conduct a search warrant at the house at around 8.30 last night. The suspect inside discharged several rounds, believed to be from a gun, and the house subsequently exploded. We were attempting to do the search warrant. We were attempting to make contact with the individual when shots were discharged inside the residence. The fire was under control by around 10.40. Bob Maines lives nearby. I've been here for 50 years and I've never experienced anything like that. Officials have not been able to go into the home and could not confirm whether there were any deaths. The suspect was inside when the explosion occurred. In a statement earlier this morning, police say the person had fired the flare gun around 30 to 40 times from inside his residence into the surrounding neighborhood. The identity of the person involved in the case was not released. 20 minutes after the hour on this morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israeli and Hamas are locked in some of their fiercest fighting of the two-month-old war as Israel launched an offensive in the south while trying to finish its operations in and around Gaza City. The Israeli military has essentially cornered Hamas fighters in two of their last strongholds in the northern Gaza Strip. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Israel has identified a very specific area, has asked people to leave that area. Israel has actually coordinated the commencement of its military operations on the ground in the south with that kind of notification. Israel has conducted heavy airstrikes since the fighting resumed over the weekend. Number two. The collapse of Senate immigration negotiations is threatening to derail President Biden's national security package, including aid to Israel and Ukraine, even as the White House makes a renewed push on Capitol Hill. Republicans have vowed to filibuster Biden's aid package unless Democrats agree to tighten U.S. asylum and parole laws and immigration proceedings. But bipartisan negotiations on a border policy deal have faltered amid deep disagreements between the two parties. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Washington Democrats appear to be hell-bent on exhausting every half-baked idea before they get serious about actually fixing our border enforcement system. One Democratic aide said Republicans are insisting on creating expansive powers to shut down the border, which Democrats cannot agree to. Number three. A former senior U.S. diplomat who served in embassies across Latin America is accused of spying for Cuba's intelligence service for decades in one of the highest-reaching and longest-lasting security breaches of the U.S. government. Attorney General Merrick Garland says Victor Manuel Rocha, a former U.S. ambassador to Bolivia, was arrested by the FBI on Friday. As detailed in the complaint, Rocha repeatedly referred to the United States as, quote, the enemy. The complaint says the 73-year-old had worked for Cuba's communist, communist government as a covert agent since at least the early 80s until now. 
Move Over Mariah, 65 years after its release, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee has officially become the number one song in the country on Billboard's Hot 100 chart. At 78, Lee becomes the oldest performer in history to top the charts. Her song also sets a new record for the longest gap between a song's release and its appearance in the top spot. Streaming and the internet (laughs) completely changed things. Crazy. Wow. Thank you, Jen. How do you feel about being asked to donate to charity while you're checking out of the grocery store? There's a new survey about it from NerdWallet. Here's Sarah Rathner, personal finance expert at NerdWallet. Sarah, what do we say? Well, uh, it's pretty surprising that 68% of Americans, just over two-thirds, donate to charities at cash registers when they go shopping, according to our survey. But two-thirds of Americans don't like to be asked to donate to those charities at the point of sale. So there must be some overlap somewhere. People are donating and they're not that happy about it. It seems like if you do it, maybe you're holding your nose as you do it. Could be. But, you know, plenty of people are doing it happily and willingly, too, which is great. So what strikes me is like the, I guess I typically see it at the grocery store. It it just seems impersonal. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know anything really about what's happening with this donation. And it's very fast. You're in the middle of a transaction. You're handing over your credit card, perhaps, or tapping it on the, the, the device. And all of a sudden something pops up. Or the cashier might ask you, would you like to donate to this cause today? And it's very quick. And you know, you, so you're making this split second decision. It's not like sitting down and researching a charity and, yeah. and what causes they support and where your money's going and what percentage is going into this part versus this part. So if you are the kind of person who likes to do your research and, and is very strategic about where you give your money, then these split second decisions are probably not going to appeal to you as much. Yeah. Like I just spent forty dollars on milk and eggs, and now I gotta <laughs> cough up more. It's a bad it's timing. True. I know, I know. You go to the grocery store, you buy three things, and it's like seventy-five dollars. <laughs> um, so, break this down by generation. How do we feel, kind of by age, with regards to donations at the cash register? Well, in general, the the older you are, uh, the older generational cohort you belong to, the less likely you are to donate in this way. That doesn't mean you're not generous. It just means that you might don't choose to donate in other ways instead. So uh, Gen Z is most likely to donate at the register. 84% of them are. Uh, compare that uh, with 58% of baby boomers. We're speaking with Sarah Rathner personal finance expert at NerdWallet. They've done a study about Americans' charitable donations at the cash register. Is it typically like a grocery store? I think I've seen it maybe at the pet store too. Yeah, a number of stores. I've seen it at a number of big box stores uh, most typically. But yeah, it can, it can depend on, on if stores, any types of stores partner with these organizations, especially around the holidays. It's definitely a time of year where people are feeling that generous holiday spirit. And so there are often uh, donation drives. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as you point out, sometimes it's that split second decision. Maybe the message pops up on the electronic uh, point of sale device. Maybe it's a cashier asking you in person if you'd like to donate. How do you decide? Well, if it makes you feel good to donate, of course, then it's a great thing to do. And if your donation preference is to sprinkle small amounts of money around, you know, around $5 here, $5 there, then donating at the register could be a way to do that easily. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Rathner, personal finance expert at NerdWallet.
Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermal regulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Now, more than ever, where you get your news matters. This is America's First News, this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Tuesday, December 5. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka, some of our top stories and headlines. Israel might pump seawater into Hamas tunnels to root out the terrorists. The White House says it's running out of money for Ukraine, but lawmakers want to negotiate. DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, and Christie qualify for the debate tomorrow. Disgraced Congressman George Santos hopes you'll pay him $200 for a cameo video. Bengals over the Jaguars in Monday Night Football. Florida State is the champ of women's college soccer. And the principal who adopted one of his students. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Dell. Cyber Monday is Dell's biggest sale of the year. Save on laptops like the XPS 13. Engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform and more. Shop now at dell.com slash deals. After a historic run-up in inflation, Americans are now starting to see something they haven't in three years. Deflation. Is this something to cheer? Here's David Harrison, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. David, explain. So we have a number of categories of goods, uh, durable goods. Those are the ones that are meant to last um, more than three years. So we're talking about things like furniture, like appliances, um, you know, computers, that kind of thing. Um, the price of those things has actually been falling for the past few months, uh, which is a bit of a surprise, you know, because we got so used to seeing inflation kind of hiking prices up um, quite dramatically over, over the last couple of years. But um, now, at least for durable goods, that's reversed. And so now we're seeing goods prices go down, um, actually decline. And so, um, you know, in the long term, that's not necessarily new. Like deflation on goods was pretty common um, for roughly like two decades before the pandemic. Uh, but it is a sign that things are kind of slowly getting back to normal, where these kind of price dynamics are back to where they were pre-pandemic. And so that could be a good sign. Um, that uh, overall inflation could be coming back down to to roughly 2%, which is where the Fed wants it. Yeah. Why is it that prices of those items have fallen? Well, um, a large part has to do with sort of the supply chains. If you recall, the last couple of years, that was all anybody could talk about was how messed up supply chains were, how, you know, shipping had all these delays and how factories were closed for the pandemic. And at the same time, you had... Um, demand going through the roof because consumers had a lot more disposable income. Um, and that just caused all these sort of like snarls and backups. And now that's really all unwound. And as that unwinds, um, you're going to see prices kind of drift back down, which is, you know, that's kind of what you'd expect to see. Um, but now it's actually happening. And so, so now that things are, supply chains are kind of back to normal, 
demand is not quite as strong because you know we've had all these rate increases from the Fed, so people are are less inclined to to borrow a lot of money and spend a lot of money. Um, now you're seeing you're seeing these prices kind of drift down. Okay. We're speaking with David Harrison, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. His story is called Goods Deflation is Back. It could speed inflation's return to 2%. All right, so uh, like used cars, uh, household goods and appliances, you said, like recreational goods. Does that mean at some point everything is going to experience deflation or no? No, probably not. Um, and you really don't want everything to experience deflation. I mean, if you do see outright deflation, that's a sign that things are going very poorly in the economy, that, you know, no one's buying anything. That I mean, that's basically, if you see that, it probably means that we are in the midst of a pretty bad recession. So you really don't want to see that. Um, on the, but on the good side, you know, we, we've gotten used to seeing it. Like we've, we've, we've you know, it's, 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 it's kind of normal. Um, but you also, at the same time, are going to see services inflation kind of continue to rise. I mean, ideally at a slower pace than it's risen in the last couple of years. Um, and those two things will kind of even out and you'll end up with inflation right around 2%. That's kind of the ideal scenario for the Fed. Um, so um, so yeah, so goods deflation, in, in, in just in the goods, in the durable goods category is, is something pretty normal that we've been, that we've gotten used to. Okay. Um, inflation on, on the services side though will continue growing. All right, and then I guess along those lines then, uh, so the items we've identified, whether it's uh, used cars or appliances, um, will deflation continue for those particular items? Um, probably, yeah. That's what a lot of economists seem to expect that we are going to see continuing deflation for those, um, as you know, we as the um, the impact of the, the the easing supply chains, you know, uh, carries over, carries through. Um, so, yeah, so we should see prices of these items kind of continue to decline um, for, you know, at least the next few months, as far as as far as we know. And that will contribute to sort of, you know, weaker inflation across the board. And what does uh, the Federal Reserve then do with this type of data, David? Well, that's for them. It's a pretty good sign. I mean, they've, I mean, uh, uh, Jay Powell, the Fed chairman, has said that seeing that um, seeing goods prices go down, you know, is a sign that. Um, that things are getting back to normal. It's a, it's a sign that sort of the work they've done with their rate increases is working. Um, now they're just waiting to see sort of the other side of the equation. The services um, inflation start to drift down. That's still at around 4%. Um, still a little bit too high for their liking. They're hoping to see that kind of drift down a little bit. Um, and then once we get to 2% for a long time, for, you know, for, for a few months, overall inflation at 2% for a few months, then they'll be able to to say, you know what, we've we've done it. We've returned inflation back to its target level. Thanks, David. David Harrison, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Hey, glad you could be with us. Welcome into Tuesday. Time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, you've likely been hearing your whole life that if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's great advice in theory, but after you approach five dozen tries, you might start to doubt yourself. That was apparently not the case for someone in the UK who finally passed their written driver's test on the 60th try after failing the previous 59. Sky News says that you need to correctly answer 43 out of the 50 multiple choice questions and then pass a hazard perception test of 14 video clips. This many fails not only takes up a lot of time since you have to wait at least three days before you can take the test again in the UK, but each test costs around $29, which means that this person spent over $1,700 just to pass the written exam. Ooh. After all that, you still need 
need to pass a road test, and we don't even know if that happened. In their defense, this driver wasn't alone in struggling to pass the UK's driving test since the overall pass rate for the exam is only 44%. In the U.S., it varies by state, with the pass rate ranging anywhere from 40% to 80%. Man, unless unless in New Jersey Mm -hmm. you are accompanied to your driving test Mm -hmm. by a private driving training company, All right, then your odds like go to 90 plus. It's like a little pay to play to a certain extent that we have in (laughs) New Jersey. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's how I want, because I had one of those. I guess guess that's how I wound up passing uh, 30 years ago. You show up to your driving test with a private driving school in New Jersey, your odds are passing. At least anecdotally speaking, it seems to be very high. That's good to know. About a year and a half from my son uh, having to do that. Yeah, there you go. That's that's good to know. I'll start saving up now. Yeah, I won't use the B word, bribe, but (laughs) seems to be something along those lines that happens in New Jersey. Gotcha. It sounds like a very New Jersey thing for that to happen. By the way, if you are up to seventeen hundred dollars mm-hmm. in the UK for that written exam, yeah. at what point do you say, you know what, I'm just going to drive anyway? Oh yeah, and I'll absorb the fine. Oh, I because it you're won't saying. add up to seventeen hundred dollars right. if I'm careful on the road. Man, what are the chances over the- <laughs> that you'd have fines that would add up that much? Right, right over the course of your driving life. Well, right? you, all kinds of useful advice you're dispensing Thank this you. morning. Thank you. And if you decide to ditch the car and take to the skies, don't do what this guy did. In a very 2020s kind of story, a daredevil YouTuber has been jailed for six months after he deliberately crashed his plane to boost the number of viewers on his channel, then lied about it to investigate. Trevor Jacob posted dramatic footage of his supposed crash in November of 2021 when he appeared to experience engine trouble in his single-engine plane over Southern California and parachuted out, selfie stick in hand, filming his descent into the dense vegetation of Los Padres National Forest. The NTSB and FAA launched a probe into the crash and found that Jacob destroyed and dumped the evidence of the plane crash. First, they yanked his pilot's license, and then yesterday his plea deal was announced, sending him to jail for his reckless stunt. He's quite a solid citizen. I mean... Just <laughs> recklessly, deliberately crashing planes. Yeah, I mean, what what was the first clue? The fact that there were cameras all over yeah. this plane, that he you know, jumped out with a selfie stick and right. the whole thing? I mean, come on. Right, he's filming himself, like, sipping water, like, from a <laughs> creek or something, right? Like, he's a uh, survival yeah, mode or something. Not that good of an actor, even though he's in Southern California. I don't think he's going to get any movie parts anytime soon. God, thank you, Mike. Dell's Cyber Monday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. An all-star team of the world's best journalists bring you the facts each and every morning. This is America's First News. This Morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Is sour candy the secret to diffusing an anxiety or panic attack? Some TikTokers seem to think so. In a TikTok video viewed two million times, a woman says her therapist told her to eat a warhead whenever she feels a panic attack coming on. Mental health counselor Catherine Del Toro tells USA Today that the therapy hack can work because it distracts the brain by giving it something else to focus on. She even keeps a container of warheads in her office for that reason. One argument says since the brain can only handle one emergency at a time, eating a notoriously sour warhead would help the brain move on from the panic attack. Experts say it's important to note sour candy and other distractions cannot cure anxiety or treat the underlying cause of an anxiety or panic attack, though they may may help 
ease symptoms. Psychotherapist Stephanie Sarkis says techniques other than sour candy include deep breathing, crafting, yoga, touching your thumb to each finger, and noticing three things that you can see, feel, and hear. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The Gaza Strip faced heavy bombardment for a third night since the seven-day pause in fighting ended on Friday as the Israeli offensive shifts to the refugee pack south of the enclave. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. It's heart-wrenching and it's unimaginable, unthinkable for any of us. Uh, We continue to do everything in our power under the president's leadership and guidance with his direct involvement and participation to try to bring all of these Americans home. The Israeli military says it struck 200 Hamas targets and killed a senior Hamas commander. Number two. Members of the Supreme Court seemed conflicted over whether to allow the bankruptcy reorganization of opioid maker Purdue Pharma, which includes a provision that protects the Sackler family from liability from future lawsuits. During the oral argument yesterday, justices expressed skepticism that a bankruptcy court had legal authority to release the Sacklers from potential legal claims, but some justices also seemed reluctant to blow up the multi-billion dollar deal that will provide immediate relief to opioid victims. A decision is expected next spring. Number three. A massive explosion at a duplex where police were investigating reports of shots fired shook a Washington, D.C. suburb Monday and destroyed the home. Arlington County Police Spokesperson Ashley Savage says all officers escaped serious injury, but it was unclear what happened to the suspect who was inside the home when it was leveled by the explosion. During the early parts of it, after we had obtained the search warrant, we were attempting to make contact with the individual. Our SWAT team was on scene at that point. We would determine that the incident would be a barricade because the suspect had not exited the residence. Officers determined the shots came from a flare gun inside the home. Tomorrow night's GOP presidential primary debate will have the smallest stage yet with just four candidates facing off. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Chris Christie have qualified for Wednesday's debate in Alabama. Yesterday, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum dropped out of the race. The most fun city in the country, Las Vegas, according to WalletHub's 2023 ranking. The casino city tops the list for its balance of entertainment and affordability. Orlando, Miami, Atlanta, and San Francisco ran out the top five. Next come New Orleans, Austin, Chicago, Honolulu, and New York. Las Vegas, when they're not building stands and stuff for the Formula One race. Yes. So you can then see the attractions in Las Vegas. Okay, good point. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Thanks, Chen. Thanks for being with us. A middle school principal in Kentucky adopted a girl who spent her whole life in and out of foster homes. Sent to his office after being suspended, he realized she just needed something to go in her favor. Kentucky school principal Jason Smith walked out of his office one day and saw a girl from the sixth grade sitting on a chair, suspended for throwing a cup of yogurt during lunch. Asking whether she thought such behavior was acceptable at a restaurant, Raven Whitaker replied she'd never been to one. Good Morning America says after discussing it with his wife, Mary Beth, she believed there was something special about young Raven. It wasn't long before the couple won over the skeptical and doubting middle schooler and the three became an official family six years ago. With a principal in the house, Raven improved her performance in school, graduated high school, and is now studying social work at the University of Kentucky. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.